Hey, folks, welcome to episode number five of Josh's <clears throat> Worst Nightmare Podcast, presented by Denver Horror Collective. I'm your host, Josh Schlossberg, surveying the dark landscape of biological horror fiction. Ooh. For this episode, we have Gary Roby. Gary is a writer and retired educator living in Denver. He was a teacher for close to 40 years, teaching primarily high school students with behavioral disorders and students on the autism spectrum. When he retired from public school teaching, he helped start the Children's Home School for Students on the Autism Spectrum in Cincinnati, Ohio, where he taught for three years before moving to Colorado. Gary writes short fiction, primarily horror and crime, and has been published in numerous e-zines, magazines, and anthologies. He's also a steering community member of Denver Horror Collective, and he is a Denver Horror Collective co-founder alongside myself. So welcome to the podcast, Gary. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. And uh, thank you for uh, inviting me. I'm super, super glad to have you here. And for those who have been listening for my, I think we're up to 25 million listeners. I think that's the number of subscribers. So for every episode, I invite on horror authors to talk about an aspect of biological horror. So that's living creatures, vital processes, and how it's relevant to their writing. So the topic, Gary, you chose was the autism spectrum. And so the question I wanna to ask to start off is what sort of background do you have? You mentioned a little bit in the bio there, uh, or I read that in the bio, that makes the topic of the autism spectrum relevant to you. Uh, well, when I started public school teaching, my first, uh, teaching job was running an autism program in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Uh, that was back in the uh, late 70s when no one knew anything at all about autism. And it was, I had six students, two assistants. Uh, I had a supervisor that would not even come into the room because he was intimidated by the students. Uh, and uh, when I was hired, uh, they handed me a book by Bruno Bettelheim and said, you know, read this and you'll be ready for the program. Hmm. Uh, so I did that for a couple of years, uh, moved back to Cincinnati, worked with uh, high school students with behavior, behavioral issues, a lot of whom often were on the spectrum, but they weren't identified as, as such. Uh, and then toward the end of my career, for the five years, I worked with uh, I ran the uh, Asperger program with uh, Cincinnati Public Schools for interme intermediate students. Uh, and then when I retired, I helped start a, uh, a school for high school students on the uh, autism spectrum because it was such a huge need and the agency that I had a lot of connection with uh, offered to help start up this program. So hmm. we started with uh, two teachers, several administrators, and a uh, assistant, and ten kids. Uh, but when I left after three years, we were up to close to thirty students and four teachers. And now, uh, at this time in Cincinnati, it's in a brand new building, a multi-million-dollar building with state-of-the-art uh, services, with about one hundred and thirty students. Uh, and who knows how many teachers, probably 20 teachers. Mm. Uh, and 
permanent uh, speech and language uh, pathologist and all kinds of uh, support services. So uh, yeah, that, that's my, my background with that. That's excellent. It's super important work. I myself, I used to work in public schools with special education students and some of whom were on the spectrum. And I do actually some work now as coaching with some adults who are on the spectrum. And yeah, I, I think it's extremely important work. So I appreciate all the stuff that you've done in that world. So what drove you to work in that particular field? Uh, I can't quite explain that, except that I've always been uh, interested in, always been interested in, in those kind of students, you know, either the students with behavioral problems, uh, and mainly because of my background in psychology and behavioralism, it was kind of a fit. Uh, the kids on the, you know, the autistic children or the kids on the spectrum were always my the favorite type of uh, students to work with for me. Mm -hmm. uh, the, you know, it, it was actually quite a bit of fun most of the time mm -hmm. and challenging. Of course, yeah. Well, it's fascinating, at least for me, and I'm curious what you think, just to see the different ways that the human brains work, right? Basically, no, no one of us thinks exactly the same. And the autism spectrum shows this just wide variety of ways that brains can work, right? And and they, yeah. there's drawbacks and there's benefits to different ways of thinking. So is that right. part we, of what you find interesting? Right, we are, uh, all of us, every one of us is uh, wired differently. And depending on how we're wired, uh, some people have more of a strength in one area and a weakness in another area, just by how our brains are. And I, I tend to believe it's probably not as true as I personally think it is, but that we're all on the spectrum to some degree. Uh, and some people, you know, I consider myself more of a neurotypical end of, of the spectrum, but some, you know, there's so many people that we know and you can think back in high school or college and you know people that were, you can suspect were probably further on the autism spectrum, but never identified. Uh, and, uh, you know, a lot of people are probably on the spectrum without even knowing it, particularly a lot of writers. Yeah, yeah, well, that's particularly interesting. So, so would you say that it does tie into having a, a facility for the written word, uh, some folks who are on the spectrum? Oh, yeah, yes, absolutely. Uh, I had a, a couple of students who, I had one student at, at the high school program who uh, was a sophomore and had actually written a full length novel at that point. Uh, that was actually fairly reasonably good. Uh, and I have no idea what whatever became of that, but there were some students that were just so uh, into the, the writing, uh, they couldn't deal with a lot of other stuff, but they could handle the writing easily. And that routine, that obsessiveness really helped it, helped in that. And I think that a lot of really successful writers that we might be able to think of uh, are probably on the spectrum because of that obsessiveness and able to uh, focus on, on writing and, and not, not leaving that subject. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm sure that's true. And 
we're learning more about the spectrum every day, which is really great. And there's very likely some evolutionary reasons for it, right? There are, there are different adaptations and well, in some aspects in life, it may make things more challenging, right? But in others, it may make it easier. Well, it's, it's certainly has changed a lot. When, when I started teaching it in the uh, 70s, it was strictly a psychological thing. And that, that was part of Bruno Bettelheim's, uh, he kind of popularized the, the, the refrigerator mom, refrigerator parents uh, theory behind autism, that it was the parents' fault of how the kids were raised. Huh. Uh, the cold parent, you know, not, not giving enough love to the child at birth in the developmental years. And now we know it's coming out more and more as we learn more about neuroimaging and that kind of stuff that it's very biological, very genetic. Mm -hmm. uh, and I used to see that in, in teaching that often the, the parents of autistic children were somewhat, you know, you can kind of recognize symptoms of, of, of the uh, autism in them as well. For sure, for sure. So we've covered some aspects of your background and kind of what the autism spectrum is, of course, without getting into medical terminology or anything like that, but you have legitimate track record working with folks and experiencing people in, in this world. So how does this apply to your horror writing? Uh, well, it's not so much a conscious effort in terms of, uh, I, I've done it one time with a story where I thought, okay, this is an autistic child and this is what's happening. Uh, but most of the time, it's just a matter of, you know, we, we write what we know. And, I'm, and I tend to often uh, incorporate things that I, I've dealt with from teaching. Uh, you know, we become part of everyone we've ever taught or, or interacted with in some way, shape or form. So those things just naturally start to come out in, in writing. And, you know, there, there have been uh, several stories that I've written where I didn't, I wasn't aware of it while, while I was writing it, but afterwards I recognized that, oh yeah, this character I think is on the spectrum, hmm. you know, without quite realizing it. Right. And, and would you say that your understanding of autism spectrum, it, it gives it gives you the ability to maybe imbue your characters with a bit wider range of behaviors. What's what's uh, what's one of the benefits of your knowledge of this world in terms of your fiction? Uh, well, basically, the the sensory input or how they how they might be perceiving the world, hmm. which is often very different than how we perceive. You know, those who who might be like a neurotypical. You know, we have our five senses and how we react to those things uh, is pretty predictable. But to someone on the spectrum, the sense of smell might be so finely tuned and you know you mix two different smells together and it's so overwhelming that they can literally have a uh, like an explosion of uh, stimuli going on in their brain. You know, right. Things like that. But more than anything, it's probably, and I feel that way when I'm reading or watching a movie, what I've carried out of it is more of a sensitivity to the issue of how someone might be portrayed as autistic in a movie or, or a book, uh, even if they're not intended on being portrayed that way. Uh, 
it, it makes you kind of recognize that, oh yeah, that character is on the spectrum or that character is not on the spectrum. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really- Particularly in horror. Yeah, that's a, that's a super important point across all fiction, right? So we both living in a world where it's like, let's have more diversity and let's have different perspectives, but so you don't want to exclude. And then at the same time, you have to be really cautious about how you're portraying that because that's just the right thing to do. You don't want to be exploiting. So I just had written down and notice how similar the words, I don't know if I'm coining this term, excluding or exploiting. So it's like, you don't want to do either. Yeah. You don't want to do either, right? You you want to incorporate these these individuals and somebody like you who has a lot of knowledge of realistic behavior patterns that that it aren't going to come across as some one dimensional caricature, and and so you pay close attention to that. Uh, oh, absolutely. And most most uh, portrayals of uh, autistic. Uh, children or adults has been pretty stereotypical. And uh, I'm gonna read something from somebody here, uh, which I just read today actually, but it's a great article that came out in this, this month's issue of uh, Fangoria. Uh, and it's a, an article by Douglas uh, Lamar or Laman, I think, I'm not sure that I, I didn't, write his name mm -hmm. very well, but uh, on, he wrote on, on autism in horror. But one of the points that he brought up was that, you know, almost all the autistic characters that you see in movies are white males. And for the most part, they are uh, many times children, which is, you know, we're, we're not showing the, the women who are autistic or the, you know, uh, people of any color, uh, any diversity. Uh, it's a very diverse uh, population and it's just not being portrayed. Uh, and his point was there should be more adults uh, in horror because of what they're going through is uh, just ripe storytelling mm -hmm. stuff. Right, well, it, it has a lot of built-in tension, right? Because there are already challenges that maybe your average individual, your neurotypical individual may not have experienced. So it right away, just them going through their daily life, it can bring a lot of color to the page. So just in terms of an interesting story, okay, maybe you don't have a problem with touching corduroy, right? But maybe somebody on the spectrum that just gives them chills because of the sensory input stuff. So there's a lot of stuff that you can do that probably can tie into horror. Of course, it's like, all right, don't want to exploit these individuals at the same time. Maybe there is a way to honestly portray folks to get them more out there in the spotlight that just ties into the, the horror fiction or, or oh, fiction all right. in general. All right. And one, and one thing uh, that I was always... Uh, dealt with with the, the students because with our high school students we were always preparing them for adulthood you know and there's this tremendous insecurity about uh are they as kid you know and one-on-one -on -one, if you talk to someone you know they would sometimes they would voice it a lot of times they wouldn't but it's this insecurity that am i as capable as someone else who's mm -hmm. not quote unquote labeled you know 
autistic. And that's a huge fear uh, to go through life wondering if you're as good as everybody else. Yeah. That stuff. Yeah, certainly. Uh, yeah, so what other ways maybe can we tie this into, into some of your fiction? So without giving away any spoilers in your story, so in, in a, what, what was the life that the character was leading in one of your stories that was on the spectrum? Uh, well, probably the, the, the very first, uh, one of the first stories I've, I've had published and it's been published a couple times. Uh, one of my, <laughs> you'll love this topic, uh, 2000 Snakes, uh, where the kid is counting these snakes on the ceiling in his bedroom, waiting for this monster to come up from downstairs up to his room. And when I first wrote it, it was written as a, uh, an abuse story uh, where the, the father was, you know, the kid was a, was on the spectrum and that was probably the only time I actually figured the kid was on the spectrum but actually being abused by the father and so he portrayed the, the father as a monster in his mind uh, and the first time it was sent out the story was re rejected because they didn't want to deal with the uh, material and so I literally changed the, the, the father to a monster and then it was accepted immediately wow uh, but how the kid was dealing with this fear. He was like frozen in his bed, counting snakes on the ceiling in a very logical, you know, I think I, by the end of the story, he was up to like 560 snakes that he mm -hmm. was counting uh, before the thing and entered the room. Mm -hmm. uh, but that was, you know, I don't like trying to get into the head of someone who's on the spectrum because I'm not on the spectrum and I heard not. Uh, that in that realm of the spectrum where I, I know what's going on in someone's mind and I, I don't like presenting it that way, but mm. uh, that was the only time I tried to get it actually in the head of someone who was on the spectrum. I see. Uh, mm -hmm. And one of, one of the later stories that I just had published, a poem of the riverbank where the, a character is a sales clerk and that was based on a true life person that I actually met uh, selling shoes. And I, and I identified the person as I thought was probably most likely on the spectrum by how he described his daily routine to me and knew everything in the world about shoes. Uh, and I just thought, I wondered what would happen if this kind of person met a uh, vampire. Yeah. And cool. that's, that's, you know, that that's where that came out. Yeah, and I could see potentially certain behavior patterns that are common to people on the spectrum as being almost a superpower used in the right direction, which can definitely lend itself to horror. Oh, definitely, yeah. And, and you know, with, with that particular story, it wasn't a matter of the person being the victim, it was a, a matter of the vampire finding something very likable in this person. Huh you know, yeah. almost from a friendship standpoint. So it was not a, uh, you know, the, all the, the very definite routine and ritual that this person would go through was not too unlike what, what the vampire was going through in his life. So, Are you saying that vampires are all on the spectrum? No, they should be. 
Well, another thing that ties directly in, so the idea of having routines and rituals, which is relevant for a lot of folks on the spectrum, that that can almost be like tying into magic spells or just some sort of thing that you do to make something happen, like a like a curse, some sort of magical ritual. So that's another potential tie-in. Well, you could take it in the, every direction you could possibly think of, yeah. Yeah, but I do think the the main struggle is, as you say, portraying it in a way that's realistic, not exploitative. You're reluctant to do much where you're going inside the head of someone like that. I mean, it's that's I think where the the debate could stand, right? Where, okay, like for me as a man, should I be writing female characters, right? Most people right. think that's fine. I'm sure there are some people who think it's not, but I'm I'm not I haven't lived as a woman, but you know, I know a few. And so I'm gonna push that boundary once in a while. So what what is it about about getting into the the head of a, of a somebody with autism that you find maybe distasteful? It's it's not so much that I find it distasteful. I think I'm just not as comfortable doing that, mm-hmm. knowing that I don't want to I don't want to present someone as being stereotypical or yep. uh, what we view as someone being autistic I'd, I'd rather just write a character and if he if someone can interpret it that person is being autistic fine if not you know i definitely don't want to come out and say this person's autistic or present it that way i'd rather kind of leave it open and not not go in a direction of uh you know i'd rather leave it up to the reader and if i try too hard to get inside their head i might not be leaving it up to the reader I don't know if that makes any sense. But. No, it does. No, I, I totally understand that. And and I think coming at it with that sort of sensitivity makes a lot of sense. And so you can potentially incorporate aspects in the character rather than labeling the person a certain way. And yeah, the situation about stereotyping, it's a tricky one, right? So to take a completely different topic, just to illustrate an example. So I'm writing about a Jewish character for my new novel and I come from a Jewish family and I'm I'm gonna say it some Jewish stereotypes are accurate right not not right. all of them and hardly ever all of them for all people but sometimes there there are some of those things that are relevant so the tricky thing is like okay well I don't want to write a, a Jewish character who is not believably Jewish right that may be coming from New York State I come from New York State Jewish family there's certain demeanor in in conversation oh does every jew no of course not but if you're going to write a character who kind of is a believable jewish person in fiction they're going to want to see some certain elements of it so if you wrote a of course a a person on the spectrum who has no elements that are relevant to somebody on the spectrum that would be going too far in that other direction so yeah and i'm not suggesting we have answers this is the space we're navigating as writers and i think i think for the most part that's that's a positive thing and like we we should be sensitive we should be you know not exploitative and and welcoming and inclusive but that welcoming and inclusive thing if we ourselves are not coming from that particular headspace or coming from that certain identity you know what what is what are the fine lines there so you know it, do right. i do i as a jew have to only write about jewish characters like i I'd, I'd rather not you know so 
But then it goes into, all right, am I going to write a character who is African-American? I'm probably not going to. So there are certain lines that we, that we draw and it's like, well, I'd like to have more black characters in my fiction. So what I end up doing is I'll have, I'll have black characters in there, but it's not the main protagonist. But then here I am writing another story that doesn't have uh, you know, somebody who is from a non-European background as the main character because I'm not the right person to do it. So these are the conversations. And I think the aspect of, of the spectrum, it ties into all of that, right? Well, right, and and there's so many people on the spectrum and at varying levels that, yeah, you can you know, you can get away with it with get putting yourself in their head. But uh, like I said, I, I personally I just prefer to not try to get in their head mm -hmm. or or be obvious about what I'm writing and then let it come out later. Sure. So it's still getting out there and maybe people will pick up on it, but you're not doing it in some, in some blatant way. And yeah, I guess the question would be if there is a writer on the spectrum, my guess is they're, they're, they're probably not going to want to be known as, oh yeah, that's the autistic horror writer, right? Like how a lot of folks who maybe are Latino and they've written some Latino characters, most of those people don't like to be called a Latino author. They're like, no, I'm right. actually an author. <laughs> I'm an author and I'm Latino and right. stuff like that. So I wonder, I wonder if there are, I mean, I, I think you're right in suggesting that there probably are a fair amount of authors who are on the spectrum, but I well, don't know of many who put themselves out there like that. Well, an interesting, uh, and I reread something by uh, Temple Grandin a while back, yeah, and uh, why don't you tell people who she is? She is a uh, a huge spokesperson and author uh, with autism awareness. Uh, she is a I'm not sure what type of engineer she is, but she's been very important in the cattle industry and, and yep. engineering. Uh, is is on the spectrum. She's been labeled as or uh, identified as autistic since she was a little girl and uh overcame that not so much overcame that but thrived with it and yeah you know when i i saw her give a, a lecture one time and she's just a wonderful uh wonderful person you know and has written many books uh and a great spokesperson for autism an advocate for autism uh but i read a quote from her where she said uh, she said that uh she does not identify as an autistic advocate first, her first identification is engineer and, you know, the stuff that she does with the cattle industry. And that's, yeah. that's what she identifies with. And then the autism stuff comes secondary, mm -hmm. uh, which is kind of interesting. Uh, that, that's how she approached it. Yeah, yeah. And that makes sense. And I think that's how most people want to identify like, no, here's the work that I'm doing. And also here is my background, which is also relevant and important, but don't necessarily define me by that. So right. yeah, I, I think that's, and I, and I think it's, I think it's wise to give space to, to folks who maybe are in that, who, who are uh, atypical, neuro atypical to put stuff out there, but at the same time, 
what can we do as folks who, who care about that kind of thing have worked with people who are who that's the brain they have and we want to include that in their fiction i think my i think that your approach is probably the right one treat it with a with a light touch not heavy-handed and being really mindful of it so that that makes a lot of sense to me yeah and yeah i mean it might be different if and i'm, I'm sure there's an awful lot of uh, like i said writers who are on the spectrum they probably shy away from writing about autistic characters but mm -hmm. uh they can get in the head and know what it feels like and that's you know i can get in the head kind of in the head but only from what i've experienced as a teacher Mm -hmm. You know, so I, I can imagine what might be going on, but I really don't know what's what they're experiencing. Yeah. Uh, so when they, you know, totally go berserk and go running around the classroom every time the fire alarm goes off, mm -hmm. you know, I can see the behavior that's happening, but I don't necessarily know what what they're thinking. Yeah. And that's a hard thing to imagine when you're writing, like, you know, what is what is really going on in their head. That's a good point. That's going to be very difficult to access and we could try, but it would probably fall short. And so I guess this is a call to those who believe that they may be on the spectrum and or write more horror and include more characters in the spectrum and maybe a way those of us who, who don't have identify in that way we can still include some characters, maybe they're not the protagonist, so we're not going inside their point of view, but we can include them. And in a way they're, they're, they're heroes, they're a, a part of what's going on in, in fiction. And I think that's one contribution we could make. Of course, yeah. the, pro the problem is if they're in horror, they're probably gonna get killed. So that's, that, but I think anyone who understands how horror works, like that's, that's kind of, uh, that's the badge of honor. Like if you're getting killed in the <laughs> horror, it means you're one of the cool kids. Yeah, but you know, you can have uh, an autistic, someone on the spectrum who uh, can be the hero or can be mm -hmm. solve the problem, so to speak, or, or work it out again, you know, in, in horror. And that hasn't quite happened yet. You know, yeah. well, uh, this... maybe the closest might be, you know, Danny in The Shining where he, in the movie where he runs through the maze and trips up uh jack nicholson right right that's a good that's a good point yeah he may he may well be on the spectrum that's that's i think totally relevant well we're, i think this podcast will will at least be putting a little bit more out there on the topic and you know we're we're all we're trying to be sensitive uh, around this because i think that's important at the same time we need to get these ideas out there we need to have conversations and you know, sometimes yeah. we're gonna stumble, and and that's that's okay. So before you go, hurt, it doesn't hurt to stumble. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. But before you go, Gary, we want to know what are you working on right now? Uh, right now, I'm working on a couple of short stories at the same time, and I'm still plodding along on a novel that keeps uh, that I've been working on for a long, long, long time. But it's slowly starting to take some form uh we'll 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 get there your your uh novella malinay was an inspiration to uh get me back to work on it so <laughs> i think I'm, I'm giving you a selfless plug there 
<laughs> I, I certainly appreciate that. You you read this, you read this, you're like, man, if I don't write stuff, Josh is going to keep putting out, he's going to start cluttering the world with all this. Oh yeah, thing. you'll be on the New York Times bestseller by the time I... Uh... <laughs> well, no, not that, that, that I'm putting out all my crazy nonsense. And you're like, I need to temper this with some, a, lo a lot more... Uh, even-handed <laughs> fiction so so hopefully i can be an inspiration that way to just feel like the more of gary's stuff the more it shuts my stuff up and i think oh, there I think, you go <laughs> i think all of my listeners would agree yeah i think that's uh an important thing to have more not josh's voice out in the world so there I'm we go that's that's all we can do right <laughs> i'm certainly looking forward to that and yeah i always appreciate all the the stuff that you put out there and you could definitely check out one of the another way to plug before Gary goes story in Terror Fifty Two Eighty. That is our Denver Horror Collective local fiction anthology. So that is all stories written by Colorado authors. All stories take place in Colorado, and Gary has an excellent story in there called Scrape, which all all I'll say is that it's uh it's about a house, right? Yeah, that nice nice family uh. It's a good, feel-good story, yeah. It's a feel-good story. A family that found a nice place to live and raise their family, right? That, that's all that happens in there, yeah, right? So check out, check out. <laughs> that's Terror. the spoiler. That's the spoiler alert, right? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> check out, check out Terror at Fifty Two Eighty for uh, some of Gary's work, and it's also elsewhere in the world. So thanks again, Gary, for coming. Well, on. thank you very much, and uh, your podcasts are great. Keep it up, keep up the good work. Thank you. Absolutely, thank you. Thanks for taking a trip with me through Josh's Worst Nightmare, where I, Josh Schlossberg, survey the dark landscape of biological horror fiction presented by Denver Horror Collective. If you don't want to miss any of the great, and sometimes disturbing, weekly episodes I've got planned for you, be sure to subscribe to Josh's Worst Nightmare on a variety of podcast platforms. You can also sign up for Josh's Worst Nightmare e-newsletter at joshsworstnightmare.com where I share a whole squirming mess of bio-horror, including my infamous haiku horror reviews and my latest dark scribblings. Speaking of which, if you haven't already picked up a copy of my cosmic biological folk horror novella Moline from D&T Publishing, you can find a copy of the paperback hardcover, or ebook at Amazon, Godless.com, or joshesworstnightmare.com. Yours darkly, Josh Schlossberg. <laughs> <laughs>